Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. As a mom, vegan of 20 years, and entrepreneur, I need a lot of energy. And I turn to Athletic Greens to help me out. Athletic Greens is part of the daily nutrition regimen for thousands of top performers, professional athletes, and health-conscious go-getters worldwide, including USA cycling and endurance athletes. So I knew I would trust them. It's developed from a complex blend of 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients. And it's a comprehensive all-in-one greens powder engineered to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet and support your body's nutritional needs across the four pillars of health, gut health, immune system, energy, and recovery. And these are all things that I'm super interested in. I put a scoop in my smoothie in the morning, and it feels amazing to know that I'm set up to feel my best and sustain my energy all day long. Try for yourself at athleticgreens.com slash lit yoga. That's athleticgreens.com slash lit yoga and get lit up. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A, where you all ask the questions and we answer. I'm joined by my amazing and fearless co-host, Kristen Williams. Woo! Hey, Laura. Hey, everybody. Hey, hey. So let's just launch right off. The first question is from April Golden. We know April. Hey, Laura, just got done teaching. I spent a while between classes practicing my handstand hops. Question for the podcast. I've noticed I can engage my scapula in standing L, which we, we call it standing L or uh, standing split, our version, but tend to lose engagement with the hop, especially on the left side. I seem to be able to engage better with my hands, slightly wider apart and slightly turned out, externally rotated just a smidge. Is this okay? Any thoughts or suggestions? You know, I think that I do better with a wider hand as well, April. Um, and I've talked to other people who've done privates with me and I've looked at their handstands and they sometimes are a little too narrow. And I mean, literally a half of an inch can give someone a bit, it's it's a wider base of support. And so you, I, I do think you're better able to feel your scapula. When it comes to 
feeling like you lose it when you push off. I do understand that. And what really works well for me is getting into my standing L and then really kind of setting my scapula and then not really thinking about them as much from that point on because they're ready to carry me. Once I, we've talked about this before on the podcast, Laura, you know, once you kind of feel that, you call it the footprint. I love it. It is. It's like a little suction. So I'll kind of slide my shoulder blades up and down a little bit and then just go whoonk and click them on there. And I've watched you, April, uh, from your videos online. And I love to see she does a really great job of getting her butt up. You know, she's not leading with the feet. Maybe think a little less about your scapula and start focusing more on the pelvis. Because I think you do a pretty good job of keeping them centered. Once you get more connected to where that pelvis is and really knowing where your vertical is, and then then your core is going to get better engaged. Your psoas is so important for that standing L handstand hop, that pulling of the femur in. The scapula, you know, you're already almost in full shoulder flexion, even in, not really so much standing L, less so than like your three-legged down dog, but they're already upwardly rotated and ready to hold you. I would encourage you to focus more on what's happening at your core and your pelvis and see if that doesn't help you. Because I bet your shoulder blades, once they're in there, they're, at least for me, they feel I'm pretty dialed into them. And then as far as the turning the hands out a little bit, I would like to see how much the little bit is. Because I do prefer more of a neutral wrist personally, but that's my thought on that. What about you, Laura? I agree with all that. I mean, I, I agree with the hand turning out. I'd be really cautious about how much you do that. I've seen it being taught that way, and it's it makes it easier to find the centration of the humerus, that centered position where the humerus isn't going to dive down toward the floor at, as you're, which is disconnecting that scapula, um, kind of being stapled on the back. So I think, A, definitely widen your hands. And, and like Kristen said, you know, almost start to think of the mechanics in a bigger way. Like I, I think of a seesaw, and if you ever were a kid— on a seesaw, right? And, and imagine one person on one side, how they stand on it and it like lifts that other side up. Well, you're standing on your scapula and that that is to lever your pelvis up. So think about the scapula, but think about how you're leaning um, the scapula down toward the floor and, and people get confused by that cue, but essentially it's just pulling them onto the back even more instead of letting them slide in a protracted position. And then lever the pelvis up. So like the seesaw effect of that coming up. And to Kristen's point, what's going to help you lever the pelvis is psoas, your deep abdominals, and then really pushing down into the floor to get that that upward action of the, the seesaw that's lifting up. And those, you just have to do over and over again. And I've seen people who get kind of stuck in a certain range. And it's not stuck. It's just where you are right now. It will improve as you open up your back fascial line, as you repeat, you know, a thousand times, but start to maybe change the the visual of, you know, that kind of seesaw effect. Like you've got your scapula in place. It's okay if they slide around a little bit. You know, it's more that, do you feel like they're still stable in their movement? It's not like they're going to be rigid and like a nail screwed in, really, it, it's just, they are going to move a little bit. That's okay. As long as you still feel the confidence that you can lean into them to lever the pelvis up. So. Yep. 
All right. Next. Well, you do the next question. Yeah. So our good friend Nairi, who is a fellow, another another yoga, lit yoga teacher, uh, wrote in and she said, she wants to know, question for the podcast, what are our favorite muscles? So Laura, I think everybody knows yours, but if you don't, let's have you start off with this one. What's your favorite muscle, Laura? Well, it's always hard to pick just one, but I think it's the serratus, as most people know, because it was the serratus anterior is this gorgeous muscle. You know, it's serrated. So serrated knife is like this edging. And um, it's it's fascinating because it runs really from the front to the back of the body. And, and in doing that, it kind of helps us seal that scapula onto the back, that action that we were just talking about. Um, it also is known as the boxer muscle because when you push, when you punch out, it is actually shortening. So it's pulling the scapula and the ribcage closer together as the arm um, reaches out. And the way we really want it to work, and this is what's so fascinating about muscles in, and, and, and we deep dive into this in our teacher training, is we want to understand muscles. We want to understand how they work in collaboration with other muscles, but we also want to understand how they work with forces in play, gravity, your own body weight, whether you're standing upright or you're lying on your back or you're on your stomach, you have different forces at work. Your joint position is different. So the reason why serratus to me is is especially so important is people tend to understand what it does in its concentrically contracted position, um, which is in that punching way, which is the muscle belly is being shortened. But they don't necessarily understand its really radical job of stabilizing the scapula so that we can be in plank. We can be in a one, you know, um, one arm plank. We can be in side plank. We can be in handstand. The the serratus in those position is actually holding. It's not shortening. It's really trying to hold and stabilize the scapula. And it's just a visually gorgeous muscle as well. When you see it on people, it almost looks like they have some more ribs, but you can see that it's actually tissue. And I remember when I, I've I've said this story before, when I saw my brother running, we were like teenagers and he was running without a shirt. And I'm like, what is that thing? That's, what are those things sticking out? It just makes you look really ripped. (laughs) And I didn't have them. I was like, wait, I, I don't, I can't even find those. Well, of course they were there. Like muscles are always there, but they're not developed. Mine were definitely not developed. Why aren't they developed? Because once we stop crawling and get on um, bipedal, very few of us get on our hands very often. We get on our hands to get down and get something. Then you might get into the gym or the fitness classes and start doing planks and stuff like that. But you can do planks in a lot of different ways that are not recruiting the serratus. So I think it's just such a, it's it's one of these kind of dormant muscles that when you do develop it, it can change so much of in your yoga practice or any way you're getting on the hands. And um, I just love it. So I do. I love it too. It is the coolest looking muscle. It almost looks like gills, you know, like on yeah. the side of your body. No, I mean, I, I love it when I, when I see it developed on people and it's kind of one of those that like on bodybuilders, it's just very cool. My mm. personal favorite muscle, I do love a serratus. I mean, serratus is right up there too. I love the gluteus medius. I mean, I've, de- I've dedicated many a flow to the gluteus medius. It's one of those neat muscles to your point, Laura, that what it does, it's located on the side of your, uh, of your, hip and it's it's open chain or 
at like the punch of the serratus, this one brings your leg out to the side. It's called abduction. And, you know, we don't do that really very much, especially in, you know, once we get out of, like you're talking about, when you're a kid, you're moving in all sorts of planes. When we get older and we start going to the gym, it's like everything is sagittal plane, everything forward and back, forward and back. So these, these lateral muscles get weak. The important part of this, of the, uh, gluteus medius is its ability to stabilize the pelvis in a single leg stance. And so we use it so much in yoga and don't even think about it. I mean, from the very, like, what's the very first pose you do in yoga? It's tree. Like everybody, whenever you see a commercial and they're doing yoga, the person's in tree, you know, so tree pose, you're standing on one leg that gluteus medius on the standing leg side is working. It's, it's holding the pelvis level. And so you think about this small muscle that's really, you know, not much bigger than maybe the size of your, of your, your palm, maybe a little bit longer, that is holding the weight of half of your body to not topple over. And when you see it not work on people, it's dramatic. So you think of the person, it's called a Trendelenburg gait, where they'll be walking and their pelvis will just jut out the side. And it's because of a weakness in that, mu that muscle. As soon as the other leg lifts off the ground to swing forward, it cannot function and the pelvis drops. So you get this dramatic shift. So our ability, and by the way, fellow yogis out there and non-yogis, it's very hard to stand on one leg and we take it for granted in yoga because we do it all the time. The number of people that come into the clinic to see me that cannot stand on one leg is staggering. 10 seconds I'm trying to get someone to do it and they're falling over. It's because of weakness in these hips. So I love that yoga really, especially, you know, lit yoga where we don't ever really rely on passivity. We're looking to stabilize. We're looking to use those proximal muscles, including the serratus, including my fave, the glute med. Um, it gets super defined. Uh, when it's, def you know, when you have that cute little definition, it's the same thing, you know, it just, it, you look better in a bathing suit. You know, I, I call it like the good kind of yoga butt. We have the yoga butt that's the, that's the uh, injury of more your proximal hamstring, but then we have the, yo the yoga butt that I think of that Yogis look really good in bathing suits because we have these defined hips. And um, amen for the gluteus medius. That's what amen. I Amen. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, I just thought of this as you were saying, um, for anybody who's listening that has practiced the tree pose, one of the cues in tree that is always said is don't put your, um, so say I'm standing on my left leg, don't put your right foot on your left inner knee. Now, that's fine to do, by the way. But the reason I think people said that is they would push into the knee and sink into that standing hip where their no, gluteus, because you can do that. You're going to hang on some good tissue there, but boy, that's not good for it long-term. And you're not summoning that glute medius. It's not going to damage your knee. It's just the pressure. If you push into the knee, you're going to more likely go lateral. But you can put your heel right on the inner knee and pull them together and that helps you actually solidify that. So if you've heard that cue, never put your heel on your knee, that's, you know, it's not an accurate cue, but the reason why probably somebody came up with it is they saw people put it there and then they sink over. So when you see a tree, like I've seen this sometimes in yoga magazines, 
somebody's in this tree pose and you see that hip swaying out to the side, they are just know they're not using their glute medius and they might be making it worse by pushing into that inner knee. So, all right. That was a wonderful question. Okay. So this is a question. I don't know too much about this, but this is from Charlie Barking. Um, for unexpected knee pain, I like cold lasers and taping. I have a friend in Charlottesville who's a DVM and has her own cold laser, and she occasionally uses it on me. What are your thoughts on this? So cold laser, personally, I don't know anything about it. But here's what I would say. Modalities are used in many practices, whether it's PT or chiropractor or something else. And most modalities don't have a lot of substantiated, statistically significant research behind them. And, but they can still work, right? So it's like, what is actually working? Is it you think it's helping you? The placebo effect, for instance, is strong. Do not laugh at the placebo effect. It really shows you how much our brain is in control of stuff. And if we are doing something that we think is helpful, guess what? It will help us. (laughs) This has been shown. That has been shown. If you anticipate, um, I just did a Science of Pain podcast, and I mean, I dive deep into this, but if you anticipate something's going to hurt, it'll be worse. If you anticipate something's going to be hard, it's going to be hard, right? So we, in a way, pre-wire some of our um, senses because so much of this is happening in the brain and all all our experiences of pain are interpreted in the brain. So the pain is really an opinion, in, in the brain. So I don't know enough about cold laser, but I can tell you whatever research is out there, even if it doesn't support it, if it makes you feel better, that's great. You know, my caution with all modalities, and, and I'd love to hear what you have to say after this, is like, it's not the answer. It is a part of, of a treatment plan. And I know you know that. This is Kate, and she has done privates with me. And she also has hypo... Uh, hypermobility syndrome with a whole host of stuff there. So your nervous system is in a different position anyway. So if you're making your nervous system feel calmer, guess what? When you're calmer and your nervous system isn't ramped up, the interpretation, the opinion of pain is less. Any knowledge about cold laser or anything else? Um, I'm the same boat as you. I've never done cold laser. I've never had it done on me. It is a very specific modality but to your point of modalities um, and their use and placebo and the brain and pain and, you know, the use of modalities to influence the brain is also a good thing. So to her point of taping, you know, we use taping to give the brain more feedback so the muscles can work. I, I have probably my biggest issue with a lot of PTs coming out of PT school nowadays is they're all about, if it's not evidence-based, I'm not going to do it. And that is very short-sighted because evidence is biased um, a lot of the times and that discounts the brain in many ways. So, you know, what might the laser therapy be doing? It might be like you te- what, what you said, calming something down so you're able to utilize your musculoskeletal system better. Same thing with the tape. It's going to facilitate the body to work better. Now, if that's all your 
practitioner is doing, therein lies the problem. Modalities should be used as another tool in your bag of tricks. And it should be a supplement to what you're then looking at as a clinician. You're looking at movement practice. You're looking at asymmetries. You're looking at areas away from the knee. So we use these modalities to facilitate the brain. That's how I use them anyway. I use them to facilitate healing. I use them to facilitate the brain, whether it's decreasing hypersensitivity to pain, whether it's increasing in Kate's instance, she is hypermobile, so she doesn't get enough feedback. That tape can improve her feedback. So then she is better able to train the brain-body connection, which helps her get better. Is it the cold laser alone? No. Is it the tape alone? No. It is the combination of that plus what we know she's doing in her lit yoga, what, you know, what she knows about movement practice. That's what's helping. But sometimes we need a modality to break a pain spasm pain cycle. It doesn't matter how many ways you try to move. Sometimes we just can't do that on our own. And we need that bump from some sort of modality. So everybody who's thrown the modalities out the door, they're doing a disservice to their patient. It doesn't mean everybody needs tape. It doesn't mean everybody needs a cold laser. Everybody needs hot. Everybody, you know, you need to be able to very intelligently choose what you're using and it needs to be coupled with something else. So someone says it helps me. I'm like, then do it. You know, some, you know, it's, but always, right. Yeah. When it's like when somebody tells me they're doing something exercise wise that they love, I won't ever tell them to stop doing it. Even if I know biomechanically it might not be great because there's so much more to it than that. If they're doing something they love, there's a lot of other benefits. And then I'm just going to try and help them do that for longer and a more sustainable way. But that's the other thing when, you know, not to bash doctors, my dad was a doctor, but you know, when doctors are like, hey, you're going to ruin your knees if you keep running or do this. Like it, some of that, it, you know, it's not, it's not going to help, right? If I, I want, I'd rather somebody move and, and teach them how to move better in doing the thing that they love. So yeah, all of those things. <laughs> well, this was a fun podcast until next week. As always, we're pulling for you and please write us with any questions. DM me or KB on Instagram, kbwilliams99 and Laura.hyman. Love you, honey. Love you too. Bye, guys. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.